Hello and welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Recently, I gave a virtual presentation to parents. And the amount of parents who signed up for and uh, watched this particular presentation far surpassed the numbers of any presentation that I've ever given in the past. I gave this presentation alone in my office in Boulder, but just knowing and seeing the numbers of people watching this, it made it a really big deal for me. And a part of the post-presentation process was that parents were asked to fill out a feedback form. And in this form, there were several questions, but one of them was to rank the quality of the presenter, and then there was a place where parents could leave comments that they would like to share. All of the feedback was, of course, anonymous, and I was allowed to access this form so that I could see the ratings and the feedback. I was, and am still amazed how many parents took the time to provide feedback, and I so appreciate that they did so. The feedback provided was thoughtful, positive, kind, and encouraging. All but one submission. There was one submission from somebody who, let's just say, wasn't a huge fan of me or the presentation that I gave. Now, I won't read the entire comment, but I'll share a few of the highlights. So here goes. The presenter was lacking any professionalism and didn't add anything we don't already know about school-age kid pandemic anxiety. So there was that part. And then this person closed their comment with a finishing move, a final blow that stated, please find a more professional and inspiring speaker next time. All right, so I wanted to share that. Not for anyone to feel sorry for me. Please don't do that. This ended up being a great experience for me that provided a lot of self-reflection and ultimately some growth. But more importantly, and much more importantly, I want to use that experience as a way to talk about something you and or your child may be quite familiar with, something called perfectionism. I agree with and try to put into practice the proverb that states, all is grist for the mill, which is the belief that something that initially seems bad or negative can ultimately be used in a positive way. And please know that what I'm sharing now is being shared a week after I read that one negative comment. This is not a testimonial about how well I handled the situation. I did not. My initial reaction could best be described as a meltdown. I spiraled. I cried. I yelled. I stomped around my condo for several hours. I had a tantrum. So, this will not be some holier-than-thou episode. It will not. And one last setup disclaimer here. As I share my experience and my realizations, I am fully aware that my experience the other day doesn't mean that I know what your child's experience of perfectionism is. No, I know that I only got a little taste of what many of our youth go through who struggle with perfectionism. And I won't pretend that what eventually helped me regain a positive perspective will be the exact same steps that will work for your child. But what I did do, post-meltdown, post-spiral, was I did a lot of reflecting, a lot of reflecting on my work with youth, youth who struggle with perfectionism. I went through my old session notes, and I spent the past week reading up on the topic of perfectionism to learn from the people who are actual experts on the topic. So I want to share what I learned. 
and I'll only sprinkle in my recent personal experience a little bit. Okay, disclaimer complete. Here's what I realized and learned in the past week. Much of what parents and other adults say or suggest when youth are experiencing a perfectionism downward spiral, well, it isn't all that helpful. The three go-to parental responses to this spiral, this freakout, the meltdown, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it, are usually some version of focus on the positive, aka look on the bright side, second, blame the critic, and thirdly, the suggestion that the child should lower their unrealistic standards. Okay, so those are what I see as the big three. Now allow me to be clear. Why these might not be what a parent starts with, two of those three can be quite helpful once someone has regained their composure, once the high intensity of the emotional experience has passed. Okay, but back to it. That first one, look on the bright side. You know, let's focus on all the positive. Remember all the A's, all the achievements, the praise, the compliments. You know, sweetheart, let's shift your focus over here to all the good stuff, all the goodies from past and present. But the thing is, when someone's in the depths, the depths of a dejected despair, this approach, this look on the bright side approach doesn't work that well because they are in their emotional part of their brain. And they are not currently operating from their more logical and rational part of their brain known as the prefrontal cortex. Up next, the popular parental response of blaming the critic. In the case of your child, this critic may come in the form of a teacher, coach, classmate, friend. And this can be seen as the the parent trying to remove their child's experience of shame by shifting to blame. This, this can be the parental go-to move or intervention when your child is experiencing really difficult emotions, which in turn makes the parent feel something that they really don't want to feel either. I know that many parents' initial reaction can be one of defensiveness, defensive on the behalf of their child, and this stance will usually be followed with strong statements of blame, usually like disguised as support. Such statements may sound like, you know what, sweetheart, this person, or that person be a teacher, coach, classmate, any person who can be described as a critic of your child, well, that person must not know what they're talking about. They have no right to say what they did. And you know what else? He or she, they, they must be a miserable, unhappy, and cruel human being that is obviously taking out their own frustrations and displacing them on you. And on this particular blaming approach, when this happens, what I think we're doing is that we're encouraging our youth to also become defensive and adopt an attitude of anger. Because for the child, and most likely for the parent, anger can be a much more comfortable emotional experience than the actual or primary emotion or emotions that first arise. Anger can provide us some relief from the true emotions that lie just under the surface which are often sadness, embarrassment, doubt, shame, uh, regret, fear, maybe even humiliation. But here's the thing. Ultimately, I don't think this is the message we want to be communicating or what we want to model for our youth. I believe that for most people, the relief that anger provides is momentary. Knowing that those primary, those more difficult emotions, they'll return. And eventually, 
They'll need to be felt, talked about, and processed. Remembering what we resist persists. Okay, the next and final approach or intervention of the big three is to tell your child that they should or need to lower their unrealistic standards. Those lofty, lofty standards. The message being that they should not care so much about those grades, those scores, those outcomes. But on that one, the thing is, the cognitive process of trying to care less, usually, it just actually amplifies one's focus on caring. It keeps your focus on that thing, which then amplifies the importance of that thing. Now, this can be seen as good advice. However, it can be difficult to connect with and put into practice when emotions are high. Emotions by their nature, they don't do really well when it comes to making slight adjustments. No, emotions have a, a all-or-nothing quality to them. The bigger the emotion, the bigger the motion or decision that our emotional self will want us to make. How that goes down or, or what usually occurs is some version of, well, I cared way too much about that particular thing. You know what? That care didn't result in getting the outcome I wanted. So I have an idea. <clears throat> Motion has an idea. Let's turn that care knob from the max of 10 all the way down to zero. Zero being, you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care at all. This can look like burnout, a breakdown, and possibly apathy towards something your child once cared deeply about. I am thankful. I got to experience this part of perfectionism the other day. Because when I was in the heat of it, I had the thought, you know what? I should just stop giving presentations. It's true. I, I had that thought. And yeah, now I, I get to laugh at it. But I had that thought. In the moment, the idea of caring less didn't seem all that appealing or even possible. But what did sound highly appealing and helpful was to quit. To quit this effort, this endeavor entirely. All right. So that is what I wanted to share about those big three responses. The responses that we usually give to the reactivity of a young person struggling with perfectionism. And oh, yeah. A, a little, by the way, on my own personal experience, uh, after I attempted to use those first three steps with myself and they didn't really land all that well, I tried looking up quotes on perfectionism to try to calm myself down. And here are just a few of the quotes that I came across. All right, I, I wrote them down. All right, uh, up first. A beautiful thing is never perfect. Next. You are magnificent beyond measure, perfect in your imperfections, and wonderfully made. And finally, there is no perfection, only beautiful versions of brokenness. <laughs> End of quotes. Uh, so yeah, those didn't seem to help too much. When I was really in it, in that moment, I wasn't feeling all that magnificent or wonderful or like a beautiful version of brokenness. And I'm not saying quotes can't be helpful for your child, just sharing my experience. Okay, now onto what I and others who know way more on this topic believe as the essential first steps of this dejected and rejected experience. Step one, feel it. Feel it. As I like to say, they are called feelings because we are supposed to feel them. Not only can sitting with the discomfort help, it can also be an opportunity for growth. Eckhart Tolle says this, 
A powerful practice is consciously to allow the diminishment of ego when it happens without attempting to restore it. For example, when someone criticizes you, blames you, or calls you names, instead of immediately retaliating or defending yourself, do nothing. Allow the self-image to remain diminished and become alert to what that feels like deep inside you. For a few seconds, it may feel uncomfortable, as if you had shrunk in size. Then you may see an inner spaciousness that feels intensely alive. You haven't been diminished at all. In fact, you have expanded. You may then come to an amazing realization when you are seemingly diminished in some way and remain in absolute non-reaction, not just externally, but also internally, you realize that nothing real has been diminished. That through becoming less, you become more. End of quote. Okay, so that's some pretty deep stuff there. And if that didn't connect with you, try on a, a, a more simplified direct quote to understand our relationship with our self-image. That being, your ego is not your amigo. All right. But I think this, this, this feel it first step is the most important and helpful thing someone can do when intense feelings arrive after someone who struggles with perfectionism receives that less than perfect grade, that, that, that subpar score or gets that negative feedback. Start by sitting with the feeling. Get to know it. Do a little meet and greet. Now, I also want to share that Eckhart says this doesn't mean that in each and every case we should do this, but we should experiment this from time to time. So, after feeling it, it is important that your child expresses their experience. This, this is where you as a parent can be of great support. Allow your child to talk about it vent about it. When this happens, resist that parental urge, that urge to interrupt, interrupt with words of wisdom, statements of praise, maybe some hackneyed version of of look on the bright side. Resist that urge. And I know it's a powerful one because as a parent, it can be so hard to hear and even harder to sit with the despair that your child may be experiencing. And on this, Brene Brown, speaking of experts, says this in a discussion about the difference between sympathy and empathy. A link for this great video will be in the show notes. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. 
I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. How great is that? The acknowledgement that our attempts to try to make things better is not all that helpful when our youth are experiencing the difficult and the dark. And I want to be sure to point out one specific response that she shares. That being, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. If you haven't already, take that little nugget, memorize it, make it your own. Because so often, that, that is what our youth need to hear from us after they share something that is incredibly painful for them. So please, allow your child to express all of it and resist that fear-based urge to redirect, to reconsider, retract, or recant. Allow them to express their experience their view of that negative review. And on that topic of expression, it can be quite helpful for your child to write about this experience. Journal it. Write it down. Download the dark, the dejected thoughts onto paper or onto a screen. And I'm not saying like in some flowery, poetic language. No, not when you're in it. Instead, just like really unload, discharge that despair. This form of expression can be an emotional release and can also help them to see the current circumstance with a more objective lens. And finally, after your child has felt it and expressed it, I do believe that the intensity of their experience points out that an important conversation needs to take place. That conversation being about how much of your child's identity, their self-worth, is wrapped up into being exceptional in any given part of their identity, any role that they play, Usually a role that's graded, scored, or ranked. Whether that role be student, musician, artist, or athlete. Something Ryan Holiday wrote in his book, Ego is the Enemy, really stuck with me this past week. He wrote that, With success comes a temptation to tell oneself a story. It's the type of storytelling in which eventually your talent becomes your identity and your accomplishments become your worth. End of quote. That, that right there, it hit me like a ton of bricks when thinking about youth who struggle with perfectionism. In my practice, I I do this exercise with youth, especially when they struggle with perfectionism, and I call it the self-worth pie graph. What I do is I ask a young person to list all the different roles they play. I have them list all the different parts of their identity. So for example, I was looking through some old notes, and I found the self-worth pie graph of a high school student that I used to work with. And she listed her roles or the parts of her identity as musician, artist, student, sister, daughter, friend, athlete, and guardian of pet. I got to point out something here. Uh, You know that this young person lived in Boulder because she is the guardian of a pet. That's right. In the city of Boulder, Colorado, pets do not have owners. No, you are that animal's guardian. Anyways, just want to share that. Okay, so but after they list their roles, they then fill in the pie graph 
with each roll and show with the size of slice given to each roll. By doing that, they are showing how much of their total worth each roll or part of their identity accounts for. So in working with students who struggle with perfectionism, what I will almost always see is that the roles of student, athlete, or musician usually make up the majority of their self-worth pie graph, with student being the number one role that usually gets too large of a slice. And here's the thing. It's great to take pride in being a good student, good athlete, or musician. But it's essential to remember these roles, these parts of one's identity are usually graded or rated with that student one. That role, that part of one's identity is graded on almost on a daily basis. And those grades are accessible to the young person's parents, accessible to them in the palm of their hand, with their phone, via their academic portal. So think about that. If a majority of a young person's self-worth is built on being a good student, well then, the majority of their self-worth is being graded and rated on a frequent, if not daily, basis. And not only can they check in on how their self-worth is doing that particular day, but so can their parents. Just sit with that for a moment. Can you feel the weight of that? How heavy that is? That need to achieve? If that's the case, that will absolutely result in an anxious existence. And it's not all about removing the greatest slice of their self-worth pie. It's not. It's about balancing things out. And this is where I think parents and other adults can be of great help in balancing out this young person's sense of self, sense of self-worth. And as a parent, you can do this by looking at what you compliment. Which parts of your child, which roles do you focus on? And because your focus is there, which parts of their identity do you praise the most? Is it all about the A's, the high scores, the academic, the athletic, the other extracurricular outcomes? All those things are great. When parents and other adults focus mainly or solely in the acknowledgement and praise of these things, it is likely, if not certain, that our youth will develop an identity that is built on the shaky foundation known as achievement. So what can you do as a parent, in addition to pointing out how too much of their identity, their self-worth is wrapped up into a graded role? The other things you can do is praise the process and compliment character. I have first one, praise the process. Praising the process means that you point out, that you praise the efforts your child makes. Whether that be their choice to try something new, try something difficult, or in their efforts to develop new strategies, to be happy, to be successful. Maybe that's them showing up for office hours, or it could be them making choices to improve their, their physical, emotional, or social wellness. Whatever the positive effort is, praise it. Praise the process. And on the idea of complimenting character, I've shared it before, but will again, please print off the VIA 24 character strengths. Link is in the show notes. This is already a pretty long episode, so I'll just list these 24 character strengths. They are creativity, curiosity, judgment, perspective, bravery, perseverance, enthusiasm, honesty, social intelligence, kindness, love, leadership, fairness, teamwork, forgiveness, love of learning, gratitude, spirituality, self-regulation, humility, appreciation of beauty, prudence, hope, 
and humor. Please print off those 24 character strengths. Look at them often. And when you see your child demonstrating one or more of those character strengths, compliment it. Compliment that specific character strength. So, by praising their process and complimenting their character, we can help our youth have a more balanced, and really, when you think about it, a more sustainable sense of self-worth. Because the thing is, if you compliment your child's curiosity, their enthusiasm, patience, or maybe their ability to show gratitude, why that's a more sustainable sense of self is because your child doesn't get graded on these things. Pretty sure they don't get graded on their gratitude. Quite confident that they won't receive a low mark on their curiosity quiz. They likely will never take or fail their enthusiasm exam. And I think it's improbable that they'll get negative feedback when it comes to their patience project. So yeah, we all need to step up. Step up to help our youth realize that the majority of their self-worth should not and cannot be built on things that are graded, scored, or ranked. All right, I get excited. Okay, so this is a podcast for parents as you may know. And I want to point out that if your child struggles with perfectionism, this may not be all about your parenting. It may not, because it is much bigger than that. It also has a lot to do with our culture. But we must. We must work together to balance out the messaging that most schools and our greater culture communicate to our youth. That message being that in order to matter, in order to have worth, you must achieve. You must compete with and then rise above your peers by receiving better grades, better scores, or receive and collect more awards. To close, I want to share one of the most powerful messages given to youth that I've ever heard, ever, from Tom Shadiak. Darwin mentioned the word love 95 times in The Descent of Man. He mentioned survival of the fittest twice. I went through 50 years of my life on earth before I heard that. That's insane. And I believe it comes from a culture that is humming on an insane philosophy. Got to keep everybody separate. We got to compete against each other. We got to, you know, whoever gets the winner gets the toys and the spoils. I believe you guys are in a culture that is depressing your authenticity, your creativity. It's pitting you against each other, and it's up to you guys to birth a new culture. So... Yes, it is your world, folks. It is your world coming. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website, perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective, the number four, parents.com. Thanks again.